0: The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. That was different, wasn't it? By the way, my name is Alan. Once again, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, That was different, and when things are different, it kind of tilts our head a little bit. It gets our attention. When things are different, they get our attention more than when, when they're not different. If you go on the side of the road and you watch people running a marathon, it's the guy in the chicken suit that you're going to notice more than the guy in the gray shorts. That's just my guess. Because things that are different, they grab our our attention. Things that change from the norm. Now, how do you typically respond When things change from the norm, how do you, where does your heart and your head typically go? How does it feel for you when life gets changed around you, sometimes without even your permission? Maybe your favorite TV show gets canceled or your favorite restaurant changes their menu or you get relocated at your job or you get removed from your job or that young guy from student ministry comes and leads worship and he turns off all the speakers and makes us sing like we were sitting around a campfire (laughs) I mean how does that feel what's your kind of natural reaction how do you respond when things are different now when things are the same they can sometimes be wonderful. I mean, there's some beauty and, and something wonderful about safe and predictable and there are times in life when we want those things and we kind of long after that and we like a little bit of a break. But if we stay there too long, life gets boring and we can get apathetic about our relationships and about what God may be wanting to do in our lives or stir up within us. In our pursuit of safety... And with the high value we sometimes have for safety, we want to reduce any possible unknowns. We want to identify any potential variables, and then we want to delete them, remove them. We want to take care of everything. But as we move on in life, sometimes we relax on some of that stuff a little bit. We realize that safety isn't the goal of life. There are other things that are the goal of life. Safety, as much of a value as it might be in certain circumstances, is not the goal of life. It's the difference between uh, the diaper bag of a mom with a firstborn child, walk, walk, and the diaper bag of a mom who has her fifth baby. Let's go. You know what I mean? I mean, that we realize, yeah, it's good to reduce uh, all the possible unknowns, but if you think, think about it, it's the unknowns in life that make life exciting. I mean, it's the very fact that we have unknowns that keeps us on our toes, that gives us a lot of joy in life. It's the only reason that anyone would be interested in watching sports, and many of you are interested in watching sports, and it's one of the reasons we love it. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if there's going to be some big play in the last few minutes of the game or some big shot in the last few seconds of the game. That's what makes it exciting. That's what has us lean forward. If I record a game because I'm not available to watch it live and then I want to jump in later on and somebody inadvertently tells me what the final score is going to be, I'm not happy. I'm not happy about that because it's not nearly as fun because the unknowns are gone. The excitement is gone. I don't have the ability to pretend that I don't know how things are going to end. I can't do that. Oh, wow, this is exciting. No, it's not really. It's not. I'm done. It's all completely gone. It's ruined for me. I actually am glad that I'm not omniscient because I'm not, I, it would take away some of the uniqueness and the unknowns and the beauty of not knowing what's around the corner sometimes. It's what makes a story great. It's what makes our favorite movies great. Yes, there are movies that we know everything about and we watch them over and over again. We still like it and it's a part of our journey. Those, those are pretty unique. Pretty much, we wanna see a movie once because part of the draw is we don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know what's gonna happen to these characters uh, I heard somebody uh, in the first celebration this morning saying that's not where they're at. That they, When they go to a movie, uh, when things start to get tense and they don't know what's going to happen, they, uh, they get on their phone to find out what the, how it's going to end so they can just relax and enjoy the movie see that's crazy (laughs) I just I just want you to know because the whole point of it is the excitement of not knowing what's going on that's why I'm not a big fan of what's happening with trailers now and how long trailers are well you know the previews for movies when I go to a movie and I'm watching a trailer I watch until I make the decision that I want to see the movie and of course that's why they want to do the trailer they want to lure you in but as soon as I decide that I want to see the movie Then my fingers go in my ears, and I and I close my eyes. And and you gotta pop your ears, because if you just hold steady, there's enough sound that gets through. You gotta pop them, and you gotta go. And I promise I do it. Ask my wife. She she moves over one seat. During the good previews, because I I, I realize I don't want to know what's going on. The previews are 18 minutes long now, and they cover the whole thing. I don't want to know how the whole thing goes, because it's part of the excitement. It's the unknown that brings uh, excitement to life. It's the unknown piece that helps us break from, perhaps, apathetic journeys, apathetic paths. We're going to do something a little bit uh, different this morning. Oftentimes in church, at least, at least it's the perception that in church what we do is we talk about things that you're bad at. We need to fix that. we are bad at that, and you're bad at that, and you need to work on that, and don't smoke and chew and date girls who do. And you know, that's, so, that's why we come to church and, and you know, be careful and do, do all that stuff. We're going to do something real different this morning. This morning, all we're going to talk about are things that you're good at. That's all we're going to allow your heart and mind to think about is things that you are good at. Perhaps things that you were trained on early on and now you enjoy the benefit of having gone through that training. You're good at that. You are skilled. You, are, you have a level of expertise in that. It's something that is important to you. Something that is valuable to you and it carries, it carries out It's a part of your journey. It's something that you're good at. But sometimes... Because we're good at something, we decide we don't need to work on that anymore. I'm good at it, and so, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it could be that there's something that God's put inside you that you are good at. It's a passion of yours, but it has drifted into a place of safety and predictability and apathy and perhaps even boredom. And so, what if the thing that you were good at is something that you could put more attention towards, that you could uh, highlight and stir up a little bit more, bring a little bit ch- of change around this thing that you're even good at? To me, that's why I think vacations are so powerful and important in our journey. It's a natural part. God has put in the whole system that we take a break, we take a Sabbath at certain times in their annual Sabbaths and their weekly Sabbaths, we take a break from the journey because you may be really good at what you do during the week. Whether it's your work or you're taking care of kids or you're volunteering somewhere, somewhere you are really good at that. You have systems, you have removed the unknowns, And so the whole thing, it's really smooth. It's like a machine. It just flows. You're really good at it. In fact, the idea of a vacation is not appealing to you because it cuts into this great system that you've created. And if you're gone for a week, the whole thing just might get out of whack. And then you've got to reset the whole deal and do all the work to reset it. So you don't really want a vacation because they're just stressful and they're just messy and they just get in the way. But five years from now... Five years from now, if, and that's, that, then you're you're that might you might be whacked as well if that's where you are. But but five years from now, how many of your regular, systematic, unknown-free weeks are you going to remember? None. None. They're so important, and they they're all we can think of this week. But in five years from now we won't remember a thing about them. What are you going to remember? A vacation. You're going to remember the good ones. You're going to remember the bad ones. You're going to remember the big ones. You're going to remember the little ones. You're going to remember the time where you went on a mission trip and you went and you saw something different in another part of the world. And that was a great sacrifice for you financially and in terms of your time. But you saw another part of the world. You're never going to forget that. If you set aside a couple days out of your busy systematic week in order to team up with student ministries and be a leader on a student ministry trip or, or something like that, you will remember that experience. It's the things that come in and spice up life and stir up life and kind of go, well, this is a little bit different. Those are the things that have the most opportunity and power to attack us drifting into apathy. As most of you know, we've been on a journey this whole year called A.D., the year of our Lord, and we've been looking at what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And earlier on this year, as one of the stages that we looked at was discover. If you have a binder, it's the second tab in your binder if you've been putting sheets in there, and in that Discover journey, we looked at what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. I want to revisit the Sermon on the Mount here this morning uh, for a moment. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through uh, a Bible, if it includes both the Old and the New Testament. Matthew is the first book, and the Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew chapter 5. And I want to remind you of this theme that is throughout this fifth chapter of Matthew. I'm going to begin with verse 21. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, I'm in Matthew 5 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Jump to verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. So when he says, you've heard that it was said, he understands that they are familiar with the law. And the law says these things. You've heard these things before. You know them. You've memorized them. You've heard these things have been said. These things are good that Jesus is talking about. He says, you've heard these things have been said. They're good. If everyone does these things that you've heard about and that are part of God's laws, it would be a good thing. It would be good for you to do that. Jesus is not coming in and and, and abolishing the law. He says, I've not come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. And what Jesus does consistently is he says, yeah, this is good, but I have some ideas that are better. I want to take you to a new place. Just a couple examples. And this runs throughout... All of what I just read. Jump back to verse 21. You've heard that it was said, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject subject to judgment. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. Jesus consistently says, I want to take this to the next level. You've heard this, but I'm saying something else. If we remain too safe in even the things that we're good at, we could be missing out on a next level that God may have for us. So I believe that Jesus challenges us to the next level in a number of areas of our lives that we're good at. That we might we might hear Jesus in some way saying to us, "You've heard that it was said, don't cheat at school. That's good. That's good. But I tell you, pay attention to the kid in your class that nobody is interested in, nobody likes. What are you doing to help that kid out, to, be, to love on that kid? I want to take you to the next level. You've heard that it was said, be faithful in marriage. But I tell you, woo your wife. Surprise your husband be creative in terms of how you love one another. I want to take you to the next level You've heard that it was said Discipline your kids train them up in the way that they should go good, but I tell you enjoy them I mean are we just trying to fix them or do we actually like them? You've heard that it was said do a good job at work work well good But I say, challenge yourself. That idea that's crazy that you've got in your head, that you're kind of nervous about sharing with anybody, go talk to the boss about it. Lay it out and say, hey, here's just an idea, take take it uh, however you will. Stir up your creativity and your intellect and see how things might go to a different level. Sometimes the things that we're good at, we get good at them and then we just stop. And then we can drift into safety and predictability and apathy. And Jesus wants to take us to the next level. And he's really, he's really good at that. He's really consistent in his teaching to say, uh, uh, here's where you, where you are, but I, I want to take you to a new place. In fact, he just gives us a whole new perspective in any area of life, in any and every area of life. He talks about the first will be last. He he gives us a, a, a begins a revolution of love that that ends up saying there is no longer Jew and Gentile. This was revolutionary for the people of God. He says the servant will be the master. He talks about an upside down kingdom. Boom! He he tops the turvies the whole thing. Now I know. That when many of you come to church, for those of you who are regulars here, and I look out and I can see a number of you, you sit in the same seat. That's part of it. So you come to church and you get all upset if somebody's taking your seat because that's the way it is. You don't want change in that. You don't want unknowns in terms of where you're going to sit. You want to be in your spot. So what if I said, let's upset the cart. Let's just kind of stir everybody up and shake everybody around. What I think many of you are thinking right now is, okay, Good metaphor, Alan. (laughs) But let's stop there, okay? We got the point. We don't need to move. And just the fact that you're thinking that and that you laughed at the idea of thinking that makes me very much want to upset the cart very much. So here's what we're going to do. If you're on this side of the room, you need to find a seat on this side of the room. If you're on this side of the room, you need to come over here. And if you can't move because you have a huge diaper bag, that's fine. But for most of you, let's go ahead and move. Come on, let's change it up. Let's change it up. Let's go. Yeah, I'm serious. Look at that. This is funny. This is hilarious because everybody over here needs to sit here as close as you possibly can. Because nobody's going over there on the edges. Plenty of seats over there on the edges. This is hilarious. There you go. You're moving over. Nice work. Nice work. See, you're not going to remember. You're not going to remember, six months from now, you're not going to remember most Sundays. We kind of come and go. But you're going to remember the time that I annoyed you to the point of making you sit in a different place. You're going to remember that with great disdain, which makes me very proud. See... It's when things get stirred up, changed, and all that. That's when we kind of, the, the, the heartbeat, you know, increases just a little bit. It's just different. Different can be good. It kind of spices us up a little bit. It's those different days in life are the ones that we remember. Which are the days that you remember? That day you decided to ask her out. That day, that first uh, uh, day uh, at college when you decided, I'm, I'm going I'm to give this a shot, I'm really scared, I'm going to jump in, I'm going to do this, that day you decided to try guacamole because it looks disgusting, <laughs> but you finally <laughs> tasted it and you thought, this is really good stuff, and that was a memorable good day for you. See, some of you right now, you're sitting, and this is weird, because you're sitting and going, I've never seen this part of the church before. <laughs> And you're freaked out. See, some of you are going, I didn't know there was a D up there. I've never seen that before. It's all freaking you out. And it's really, really entertaining to me. So there's, there's this thing where, where changing things up can stir up good things, even in areas where you are good, where you are good. And Jesus likes to do that in us. He likes to do that in our hearts. There's something that the Jews were really good at. Many things, but one of the things that were really good, I was celebrating the Passover. The Passover is an annual meal, festival that's in celebration of the story that we find in the first half of the Old Testament. Which is found in the book of Exodus where the people are free, the people of God are freed, liberated from slavery in Egypt. And they make their, they pass over into an area that eventually becomes the promised land. It's where uh, Jerusalem is and how the whole uh, uh, city of God and the people of God began. It's a central part of their story. So they remember and they celebrate Passover. They understand it. They are good at it. And Jesus, during Passion Week, on that Thursday night, the day before he was crucified on the cross, he gathers with his twelve Disciples, his closest friends, and, he's, and, and, he, and he gathers as part of the Passover meal, something that they're very familiar with, they're very good at, and he redefines it. And he grabs a piece of bread and he said, This bread that you've been eating for thousands of years, this is me. And he takes the cup and says this wine that is a part of, the, part of the Passover story that is such a significant thing for you and your ancestors, this wine represents my blood, the mark of a new covenant. Because God is doing something transformational. He is changing the world. And I want you to remember this. Do this in remembrance of me. You will never forget this night. And no one, who learns about Jesus, who ends up following Jesus, will remember that moment that night. Jesus says, This is good. What you've done is good. Celebrating the Passover is good. But I want to take you to a new level. I want to take you to a new place. I want to take you to the next level. There's another guy in Scripture who is a uh, hero for many who love Scripture. His name is Paul, and he wrote a lot of our New Testament. He wrote a lot of the letters, which are referred to as Pauline letters. And I want to take a look at a few verses from the book of Philippians. And uh, that will be the last uh, verses we look at today. They're listed on your um, the uh, note page that you received on the way in. We're in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is a little, tiny, but wonderful letter near the end of the New Testament. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, he says this, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect. Now it's obvious that we are jumping into the story. We are halfway into what uh, Paul is saying here. And then in the first 11 verses of this chapter, Paul is basically saying, Don't be cocky. Don't get arrogant and overconfident about the things that you have accomplished, about the things that you are good at. Yes, celebrate them, but don't get all high on yourself about it. This is coming from a guy who had done many things. By the time he wrote Philippians, Paul had traveled thousands, walked thousands upon thousands of miles around the Mediterranean Sea telling people about the story of Jesus. He had planted at least 15 churches at least and those churches planted other churches one guy traveled around giving his life to the message of Jesus to the point of of risking his life he was imprisoned multiple times he was flogged whipped beaten because of what he was doing and what he was saying and he kept on going all of this and he says it's no big deal it's no big deal not that I have obtained all this Lord, have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on towards the goal. Now, m- many of us watched the Olympics this year, or you're fans of it, and and what do people look like when they're sprinting and they cross the finish line? There's this, there's this look that you have when you're sprinting, right? It's, you got to get the nose forward because that difference that it could be could come down to a nose. And so, arms back and you swing it over. How many times do you do that in a race? In one race, how many times? Just one time. One time. My son is is uh, enjoying. Uh, Uh, being on a cross-country running team. He's getting into running and and he's really enjoying it. At one point he said, Dad, if that's the fastest thing, if that's the fastest way to end a race because you want to lunge forward and just get a little bit ahead of the person in front of you, why why don't people just run that way the whole time? I mean, If that's the fastest way to get there, why not do that the whole time? I think it's a very reasonable question. And so we'll see what the first track meet looks like. But when we're running the race of life, we're running, we only finish one time. That's when we draw our last breath or when Jesus comes, we finish one time. Now, it's okay in the race of life to take a break, to stop, take a breather, have a bite to eat. You want to have fun a little bit. You want to tie your shoe. You want to uh, fix a tire that is blown. Whatever metaphor you want to use there in the race of life, it's okay to take a break, take a little detour and get back on the path, whatever. Uh, Talk with somebody, whatever. But we only finish one time. There's no time during the race where we are supposed to Lunge our nose forward and swing our arms back. The point of life is not arriving. <sighs> the point of life is striving, it's pressing on consistently towards the goal to which Christ Jesus has laid before us. The point of life is not arriving, it's striving. Do any of you remember when Michael Jordan, a number of years ago, was on Saturday Night Live? And he was on the, the Stuart Smalley pro- program thing that they did there. This is classic television. I mean, this is YouTube worthy. Some of you, you're going to be out for the next five minutes because you're checking it out on your phone. But <laughs> this, this was so good. Uh, Michael Jordan is meeting with uh, Stuart Smalley, and Stuart uh, you know, doesn't know who he is. And so he ends up saying, you, you don't have to be uh, uh, the best basketball player and always put the ball inside the hoop all the time. And then he, he makes Michael Jordan look in the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. It's hilarious so because he's good, because he is great, because he is the greatest basketball player who's ever lived, and he was at the peak of his career. That's what made it funny. You see, my, my, when Michael Jordan entered the NBA, uh, the critics said he's fast, he can jump, uh, he is... Uh, I mean, he can leap one day. They're probably going to have his silhouette on a shoe. I mean, he is really, he's, a, he's an amazing guy. But he can't shoot. He can't shoot. And so instead of Michael Jordan saying, you know, I'm good enough. I mean, I can dunk from the free, th- free throw line. I'll let the other guy shoot. Instead of that, he's, he goes out and he starts working on his shot. And he works on it really hard. And he gets really good. And then the critics said, well, okay, now he can shoot. But he's all an offensive guy, offensive power, and that's great. You need to score points. But his defense is terrible, and he tries to steal the ball too much. And so he gets in trouble, and he he allows them to get breaks around him. He's just not a great defensive player. Instead of him saying, hey, that's good enough. i got four other players on the team. I'll get all the points. They'll stop all the points. We're good. High five. Boom. He works on his defense. In 1988, he was voted the number one defensive player of the season, the the best defensive player in the league. See, our journeys, even with things that we're good at, is not to say, this is good enough. I'm good enough. When you think about your marriage relationship, are you kind of resting and saying, hey, it's good enough. It's better than my neighbors. I'm fighting less than I was before. It's good enough. What about your relationship with your kids? It's good enough. What about how you're doing your job and how you are excelling at things that God's given you, abilities that God's given you? Are are you saying, hey, it's good enough? I'm going to coast the rest of the way. That's apathy, that's safety. God wants to challenge us to take it to the next level because the point of life is not arriving, sticking our nose out and going, yeah, done. The point of life is striving, Paul says, pressing on towards the goal, continually, continually pressing on. Change brings spice to life and it can stir up great things in us. Now, I'm not saying change just for the sake of change. And sometimes people... uh, hear what they want to hear, and sometimes people say, you know what? I am kind of bored with my marriage. I want a new spouse. That's not what I'm saying here. That's not the kind of change. (laughs) Please be clear on that one. That is not the kind of change I'm talking about. It's not about discarding things that are good. It's about just the way, you know, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, these are good things, but I tell you, boom, I want to add to that. It's not about discarding things that are good. It's about adding to them, adding something great on top of something that you have been investing in. Some people get, get restless and after a few years or whatever, they've got to change everything. And then they're not allowed to build onto that. You've heard that it was said this, but I tell you, boom, something better. Jesus is inviting us into building something great onto something that you're already good at. So, we're going to close uh, this morning doing something a little bit different. We're not going to do the stations. We'll do that next week. Just do something different uh, today. And I'm going to invite the band to, to come up. And while they're doing that, I invite you to take out the sheet that is the notes page that you received on the way in. and Hopefully you've you got a pencil or something to write with. If you don't, you can just uh, do this little exercise mentally and, and have that experience. But I invite you to just take it out. Just, just, take, just enter in for a moment here. And at the top of the, the backside of that page, it says, um, you have heard that it was said. And I want you to identify five things that you're good at. So maybe you've heard that it was said from somebody else, from a friend, from your parents, from the Holy Spirit himself. He says, you're good at this thing. Five things that you believe you're good at. It's okay to be confident about this. And I'm talking about things that God is proud of you about. Five things that you're good at. Just take a minute and identify five things first. Go ahead. time coming up with five things if you think there are not five things that you're good at, you're wrong and maybe this is an opportunity for you to talk to somebody who cares about you and help you stir stir this up it's not arrogance, it's just confidence in saying God has built me well in this area I'm good at this so then the bottom half of that page is just kind of flowing from what Jesus says in Matthew 5 but I tell you Something more. So I want you to reflect as the band sings a song over you Just sings here in this room. Just be reflecting on those five things in What way might Jesus want to take you to a new level in those areas to get a new perspective to say? Yeah, I'm good at that, but I don't want to stay Complacent with that. I want to take that to a new level in what way Can you take those five things to a new level just reflect on that? as the band sings this song.